Well, good evening, saints. We are glad to have you here on this Memorial Day weekend. We have been going through a series on the fundamentals of the faith. And the first time we gathered together, we uh, talked a little bit about uh, God as the one who gives the overarching master plan of history. And that we, we broke it down into five divisions. These aren't uh, anything special, but it's just a way for us to understand the way in which God works. is creation, fall, redemption, proclamation, and finally, restoration. And we've been going through uh, this section of creation. And last time we were gathered together for this service, we talked about God in and of himself. And we discussed briefly, and I attempted as best as possible to describe uh, in an understandable way the ununderstandable mystery of the Trinity. Today, uh, and, and that really is a reference to God and His existence in and of Himself, today we're also looking at God's nature and character, uh, but today we're looking at a different aspect of it. We're looking at God as the Creator. And uh, the qu- question we're really asking now, previously asked, who is God? And we discussed the Trinity. Today we're asking, what is God? And we're proposing that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. And uh, it's, it's dangerous to give this illustration uh, with Moses and Shushna in the crowd because they'll probably correct me if, if I get it wrong. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we come in contact in the Christian story of creation is its uniqueness. Uh, the Hindu story, there's at least two, there's multiple, I think, uh, Hindu stories of creation. Uh, the, the Hindu system is, is cyclical, so it's not just one creation account, but a series of creation accounts. Appreciate the affirmation. He's, he's given me the, the nod, yes. If, if, I say, if I say something wrong, he's going to go, nope, that one. Uh, and, and I'm probably going to mispronounce these names, but they're three different gods. There's Brahma, who creates... There's Vishnu who then sustains, uh, and then there's Shiva who then destroys, and then the whole thing starts over again. And and so you have uh, kind of uh, these three different gods who have a creating work, a sustaining work, and a destroying work, and they go through this over and over and over again. In our story, in the story of Christianity, we have one God who creates and sustains all things. And who is ultimately going to bring all things to judgment. Now, as we discuss this and as we look at this, I've been trying to think of uh, ways to describe it uh, in a way that we not only understand who God is, but also we look at what our response to Him is. Uh, And uh, Joe read earlier from Isaiah 40, 28, one of the things we have in, in Isaiah forty twenty eight 28 uh, is this great declaration. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth, who does not get tired or weary. There is no limit to his wisdom. And one of the things that's interesting as you study the fact that God is the creator of the world is how it connects to so many other things. The, the passage he, he read for us in, in the call to worship is a, a, a rebuke 
to Israel who, who's saying, God doesn't really see what we're doing. God doesn't really care what's going on with us. Therefore, we can uh, get away with immorality. We can live as we please. And, and the response is to remind them that God is the one who made the whole world. That He is the creator of all things. And saying, no, 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 you're not going to escape His sight. Genesis 1.1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. One of the things we, we see in this... Um, and I want to go through uh, three aspects of God that are revealed in His role as Creator. Uh, in saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, we see that God exists before the beginning and outside of the heavens and the earth. Uh, God exists outside the categories we have to describe Him. We as creatures largely come in contact with created things, so we think of God in, in terms uh, that are often underneath Him. To say that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth means that He existed before time existed. He exists before the beginning. To say that He created the heavens and the earth means He exists outside of space and time. Now, if you start to think about this and your mind doesn't boggle, uh, I think you're, having, you're not getting the concept. And in fact, every time I think I'm getting close to imagining God the way He is, I, I realize I'm falling short. So one of the ways I, I picture God is I picture the all of created order from the beginning of time to end of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's before the beginning and after the end. So he's outside of all time, all space, and, and it's just kind of sitting out here in front of him, and he's looking down at, at, the, at the whole thing. That's how I, I try and imagine a God outside of space and time. I imagine space and time here, and then he's outside of it looking down on the whole thing. But do you know what the problem with that is? Is even in placing God outside of space and time here, where am I placing him in my imagination? Well, he's in a place and at a particular time looking at everything else. So even in trying to escape thinking of God in the categories, I, my mind can't get to a point where it imagines him without being bound as we are by time, space, and matter. So one of the things we, we draw out from this, um, I, I've, I, I, as we look at the character of God as revealed in Creator, I'm, I'm going to give you three words that begin with A to describe it. Um, and the first one is actuality. Uh, now, I was going to use that word whether it was a word or not, uh, because I believe Cole gives us permission to make up words and then uh, add uh, descriptions to them, our, our senior pastor. But actuality is a word. Uh, actuality refers to actual existence, typically contrasted with what was intended, expected, or believed. Uh, and you, annoying people often do this thing where you say something and they say, well, actually... They're saying that's what your perception is, but the reality is different than that. Uh, the fact that God is creator points to his actuality. That he exists in and of himself, and that he is categorically different than every created thing. 
in this, um, we're reminded that we are bound by time. We are bound by space. That, that we are bound by things that God is not. We're reminded that He created the word by the the world by the word of His mouth. That He has abilities we do not. That He has powers we do not. The Isaiah forty passage reminded us of of creation and pointed to the fact uh, you can't outrun Him. You can't escape Him. You can't get away from Him. He has more power than you have. He has more wisdom than you have. He has more glory than you have. And in creating all things, He reveals Himself. In creating all things, He reveals Himself as as something that is far beyond and far different than us. But in our definition, we say that He is also the one who sustains us. Now, as, as we get into this, we see that He is not only distinct from, but He is also intimately involved in the earth. Uh, This is uh, different than a view that was propagated by uh, many of our founding fathers, actually. Uh, Many of the founding fathers of this nation believed in something called deism, which is that they recognized uh, in the created order that there there must be some designer, there must be some creator, uh, but he's like a watchmaker who builds an intricate watch and winds it up and leaves it be. And that the universe then continues on without any real involvement or even monitoring or care sometimes from its creator. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That is not only the creation of the world, but the fact that the molecules and the atoms of our bodies are still being held together. That the universe doesn't disintegrate into nothing is a sign of His power and His grace to us on earth. Uh, One of the things we'll get into uh, a little bit uh, next time we get together which next week is actually World Prayer Focus. Uh, so, so be here for that uh, so we can pray for the nations. And then after that, we will be meeting again for our regular evening service. Uh, but one of the things we'll get into then as we look at creation, as we look at the creation account, is uh, that after God created the heavens and the earth, uh, it describes them as formless and void. That is chaotic and empty. And part of what God does through the six days of of creation is He brings form to that which is formless. He brings order to the chaos. That's actually what the first three days are. And in the next three days, He begins filling the void, bringing fullness into emptiness. And as we look at creation, as we look at those things, we're reminded that God is a glorious God who not only made the world, but sustains it. Who is careful and invested into what He has made. 
We also, as we look at this, believe that God exists in and of Himself, and all other things that do exist have to be brought into existence by Him. Now, uh, there's a problem that people pose. Uh, you know, people will say, uh, God created anything. Well, what, who created God? What brought Him into existence? Again, this is a, a failure to understand the actuality of God. To, a failure to understand His self-existence. It, it's like a, a domino uh, gained consciousness and found out uh, that the way God, dominoes fall are being knocked over by one another, and they find out that the ultimate cause of all dominoes being knocked over is a person knocking over them over. And the domino asks, well, what knocked over the person? It's applying the wrong type of categorical thinking. If, the, if Shakespeare's plays, if the characters in them all of a sudden became aware of the reality that we are being written down on a page and, and there's somebody who is uh, guiding the story here, and they realize that they are indeed characters in a play, they became that self-aware, and they became aware of their uh, creator Shakespeare, and they asked the question, well, who wrote Shakespeare? They're, they're applying the categories of the created thing to that which created them. And we often do this, and it's one of the reasons why I started by saying that God is categorically different than anything we know or have experienced. It's categorically different than even the things we can imagine. Because it's difficult to conceive of a God outside of time and space and matter. A God who calls reality into existence, but was not himself called into existence. He is the creator and master of all things, who exists in and of himself, and the thing on which all other things depend upon for their existence. In addition to his actuality, the second thing the scriptures reveal to us through the account. And by the way, we could make a list of dozens of things that God as the creator points us to. I'm just going, going through three. In fact, as we talk about God as creator, one of the things I want you to realize is that this is a theologically foundational belief. There, there are many other things you might believe about God or think about God, but without an understanding that He is the creator of all things, those theologies will sink into the mud. They will lose all stability. Understanding God as the creator holds up so many things. It affirms His actuality, that He is the ultimate thing that is ultimately real. It also declares his authority. We've gotten into this a little bit uh, through the Isaiah passage where he, he says, look, you, you can't escape him, you can't get away from him. He's the God over all. If he is the creator of the world, he has the rights and the prerogatives of a creator. Uh, do you know what I can do with my car? Whatever I want. Because it's my car. If I want to drive it, uh, if I want to drive it on, if I want to drive it through my house, I can do that. I, I can I can be as destructive or creative as I want with it. A sculptor gets to choose where he chisels the rock. 
A, a painter gets to choose the paints and the portions with which he paints on them. An author gets to describe the characters in the way he wants. He gets to continue the plot as he desires. God as, as the creator, God as the maker of all things, has the authority over all things. God as creator reveals his power and supremacy over all. He is the one who makes all decisions. He declares all things. He is the one who is and who was and is to come. One of the ways the scriptures reveal this is, is by saying, uh, it, it, those of us who are opposed to something God is doing, they say, you know, does the pot say to the potter, hey, what are you doing? I didn't know. Don't, don't make me like that. Don't do that. He says, well, what right does the clay have to tell the potter how to fashion it? God is the Lord over all. He has created all things. And in this we see his actuality. And we see his authority. By the way, if you, if a way to think about this is to think of the inverse. If God didn't create all things, what claim, what right would he have to demand our allegiance? What demands would he have to, what right would he have to say, this is the way things ought to be. This is the way you ought to act. But if he is the one who created all things, Acts, the book of Acts, Paul says that all things, God is the one who gives all things life and breath and everything. Now, if he gives us life and breath and everything, what do we owe to him? Life and breath and everything. As the creator, uh, we do not, as, as the creator of all things, we owe our allegiance to him because he has all authority. Creation reveals his actuality, it reveals his authority. It also reveals his artistry. One of the things that we see, and we see it particularly in the Psalms, I hope you read through the Psalms uh, regular, regularly. If you're like me and prone to, to uh, uh, be a bit melancholy, if you're prone to beating yourself up, or if you're, you know, I'm the type of person, I could give a sermon on joy, and by the end of it, you'll be depressed that you don't have joy, you know? Uh, so if you, have, if you deal with those type of issues, the Psalms are really great. Uh, they're, they're great for several reasons. Sometimes because the psalmist is really melancholy, and he just uses language and descriptions that are far better than yours. But there are also psalms that lift you up, that, that describe the glory of the Lord. And, and one of the ways that uh, the authors of the psalms praise God is by describing His handiwork. And I don't know if you, you noticed it, but Joe was very intentional in the selections of the songs today. As we sang those songs, one of the things that was repeated was the glories of nature. He brings the mountains up and takes the valleys low. He sets the stars in their place in the sky. The created order shows us that God is an artist. That he is creative, that he is ordered in the way in which he makes and puts together 
all things. Now, understanding God as creator and understanding the actuality, the authority, and the artistry of God demands a response from us as people. In fact, uh, I, I want you to turn with me to Romans 1, 18 through 25. This is a, a section of judgment, but I want you to look and pay close attention to what condemns people in this passage. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. My eyes are so bad I almost started in the wrong verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And these things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God has given them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In this section, we, we have a, a description of a failure to heed the importance and the understanding of God as a creator. Uh, we, we see in this passage that there are at least four appropriate responses to God's revelation of himself as the creator. As the world and the creative beauty that it manifests God's majesty and God's power, we should have four responses to this. One is to worship. Here it mentions a failure to worship by falling into idolatry. It says they knew His invisible attributes, the power of His divine nature, and that those things were revealed ever since the creation of the world. And despite the corruption of the fall, the creation is still declaring the majesty and the glory of God. He says, although they, uh, he says, because of that, they're without excuse. The, the next thing, other than worship, that we should respond to God as creator is to honor him. He says, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. The third thing is to give thanks to Him. They did not honor God or give thanks to Him. I believe these, these two things are related. By the way, as I was, I was working on this passage this week, one of the things I tried to do, um, usually the, the most I get out in nature these days is to walk my dog around the block. 
Uh, we've got a, a one-mile loop we do twice a day uh, to help get his energy out. And, uh, you know, as I go on those walks, I'm, I'm usually very distracted. I'm thinking about, okay, what, need, what needs to be done? What am I going to say on Sunday evening? You know, uh, what do we need to do with the kids? Is everything all right with them? Do we need to do any groceries? You know, I just have all these thoughts kind of, kind of barraging me. Uh, but for this past week, I've, I've tried and sometimes succeeded at thinking, okay, while I'm out in nature, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to look for the beauty and the majesty that God has displayed in His handiwork. And I'm going to thank him for it. Uh, I, I would encourage you this week as you go out in nature, you know, maybe, maybe the extent of that is uh, rolling down the window as you're driving through the country. Uh, I don't know how, how much nature you, you get these days, but uh, look at what God has made and the beauty in it. I'm, I'm also reading uh, theologian uh, Biography. Uh, I'm listening to it on audio, actually, of Jonathan Edwards. One of the things that would happen with the old theologians is that they were also naturalists. They believed that all the sciences pointed to the greatest science of theology. So one of the things Jonathan Edwards would go out and do is he would go out and walk through the forests of New England. Uh, do you know what, what particular aspect of creation fascinated him a lot as he took those walks? Spiders. <laughs> uh, those of you who know sinners in an angry, the hands of an angry God won't be surprised at that. But he actually wrote some scientific papers on the spiders of New England. He talked about, uh, I'm glad we don't have them here, but there's a type of flying spider in New England which releases uh, a strand of web that's caught in the wind, and then it, it, it's carried off. And I just think, you know, I'm glad he was fascinated by that, but if I saw flying spiders, that wouldn't be my reaction to it. Um, and he wrote sci- a, a scientific paper and submitted it to a scientific journal about these spiders. But a- as he does this work on spiders, one of the things that's interesting to see is that he is worshiping the God who made the spider. The medieval theologians, and I love this idea, it shows a different way of thinking, although they're not technically correct. The beauty of their thought is apparent. The medieval astronomers, one of the things they theorized as they plotted the courses of the planets was that as they moved, they made music. So there was a theory that the, the movement of the planets was a symphony of gods playing forth his music. Saints, I, I fear as we encounter creation, we are not properly in awe of the God of creation. As we encounter creation, we should worship God as the creator. We should honor God and thank him for revealing himself And lastly, we should obey Him. God, as the Creator and Maker of all things, we've said, has authority over all things, and therefore we have a responsibility to obey Him. In looking at all of these things, we also see God's grace in creation. We mentioned in the Trinity that love existed before the world existed. Uh, That love in the Trinity is perfect. 
He didn't have to share it. He didn't have to make anything. But it was due to an outpouring of His love that He made the world. Grace is something uh, that you don't earn and that you don't merit. Uh, Saints, we didn't do anything to merit or earn the world that exists around us. We didn't do anything to earn our existence. These are gracious gifts our Heavenly Father has given us. As we look to God, I hope you're reminded that He is the Creator and Sustainer of all things. I hope as you remember that you are filled with awe at His creative power and that your desire to worship Him, to thank Him, to honor Him, and to serve Him grows.